Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back in better than ever, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance, live from the seaport, brought to you by Patron. Perfection starts with Patron. And frankly, I could use some. Couple of notes. Mark Cuban, tomorrow in studio at this time. If you were listening tomorrow at this time, you will hear the, um, well, the Maverick, if you will, and the owner of the Mavericks, Mark Cuban, one of the more interesting people in sports. I'm looking forward to seeing him. So we'll have him here tomorrow. And if you would like to see some of the folks that you watch on TV in the morning, I'll remind you the pictures of last night's much-publicized dinner. Kimberly Martin, Dominique Foxworth, Jeff Saturday, Stace, me, and not Hembo are available on Instagram right now at ESPN Greeny. I have a quick question, actually, Go. about this. Yeah. After what happened last time he came down, is there any chance that Bubba will be invited to another dinner like this? So, so I thought you were going to ask why you're not invited to the Oh, dinner. no, I know why I'm not invited. Would you come to the dinner if I invited you? I, I would not. It's much too late. I eat dinner at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Clown. Five, we, we had dinner last night at 5.30. 5.30 is much too late. Too late. Too late. If I invited Bubba to the dinner, do we think... Do you know the reason I don't invite Bubba to the dinner is that he might come. That's the fear that I have. I very well may. And, and Bubba, look, you know Stevie is gone for months. You, you, you've got his room. The last time Bubba was here, he slept in Stevie's room. It's not Stevie's room anymore. It's Bubba's. That's, that's correct. I mean, lest anyone forget. There's Micah the, Parsons, the Parsons time, jerseys the, on the wall. The only time I was there, the Jets got a win. So, I mean, I, I don't know what you're talking I should be there more and often. And he was thankful for it a week and later. And we also all had a great time. Everyone had a great time with me. We were, having, we were sitting there laughing, joking. We had a great time. Everyone, no, everyone we loved. We had a terrible great time. time. We had everyone, an unbelievably bad time. Minus the injury. Minus the injury. <laughs> yeah, just put that aside for a second. Don't that, that, that really is the best example I've ever heard of something that should be responded to by outside of that, Mrs. Lincoln, <laughs> exactly. how did you enjoy the play? Exactly. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I really don't know any other way to describe it. No, outside I, the injury. Yeah, but no. I mean, everyone, we had a, we're having, outside the injury, we're all having fun. Everyone loves me. Stacy loves me. We're, D. Wood loves me. Graziano loves pre-injury me. Pre-injury was like an hour. Post-injury yeah, is the rest fun. of our lives. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd be, I'd be a great time at the dinner. I'd, I'd, I'll drive up there. We'll have dinner. We'll, uh, we'll have a great He'll time. He'll take Eric's seat. I'm trying to think of other examples of that. Like, if you just say to someone on board the Titanic, like, outside of the sinking... How did you feel the cruise went? <laughs> right. Salmon was outstanding. Like, yeah, the, I heard the band played right to the very end. Yeah. <laughs> was Molly Brown really unsinkable? Like, if you meet someone who was on the Titanic, would you be like, listen, besides the way it ended, you know, that's, that's, that's not, if we were to overlook the iceberg, how do you feel the cruise went? <laughs> like, what would be the other, this, this is, that, that's how bad this was. This was that level of bad. I understand, but again, apart from that... But I will say this. You do have a bit of an argument that we did win, and we've not won since. Right, exactly. So perhaps having Bubba at the house for the game would give the Jets a better chance to win. Okay, you're doing the fan thing. Like, are we good with you using we? Like, you're not on staff. You're not paid by the team. He was trending after the injury because literally everyone thought about him relating to the Jets. I think rebuttal. he can use we. It's a good rebuttal. I think more people thought of me 
than thought of Zach Wilson when Aaron <laughs> Rodgers went down. And he was on the field. Zach Wilson thought of Greeny when it happened. <laughs> That's exactly right. FaceTime. Z- Zach was tweeting on the sidelines, sorry, Greeny. <laughs> I apologize in advance for what I'm about to do to the rest of your year. Um, anyway, so the point of it is, yes, I would like to have a dinner for the hashtag crew. The problem is no members of the hashtag crew live nearby. So for the, everyone listening around a the country. A bit of a drive. I, I, I live in Manhattan, in New York City. Hambo lives fairly way out there in New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. You don't you don't live. It takes me a few. It takes me a little while. Like like Kmart comes to the dinners, but she lives in Jersey City, so she she like she come, takes an Uber home. I make her text us when she gets home, so I know she's home safe. She she gets home in like twenty minutes. You make her text you when she gets back? Absolutely. That's like a isn't that like a thing you do when you when your daughter like just gets her license? No. But, but she's getting into a car by herself and leaving. I want to know that she got right. home safe. You're an overly responsible friend. Absolutely. No, no. That, that, I mean, of that, there is no question. Um, and, then, and then Cam and Bubba, you guys live, I don't even know where you live, somewhere up near Bristol, right? I live in Bristol. We both live in Bristol, yeah. Oh, you live in Bristol. Yeah, we so, can have dinners. I, I mean, on a, on a good day, that's like two hours. Yeah, Cam and I should start having dinner. So at the end of the day, you would probably both have to stay over afterwards. But 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 one of you at least will have to be back in Bristol the following morning yeah. for this show. Someone's right? got to run this board. Well, there is also other days of the week. We'll see a Friday night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's well played. Okay. Anyway, uh, if you want to see the pictures last night, they're on uh, Instagram at ESPN Greeny. Uh, you can also be a part of Greeny Nation on the Dr. Pepper calling line. ESPN Nation's presented. By Dr. Pepper, it's not college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. I, I want to change the mood completely here. Um, one of the days that I will always remember best from hosting Mike and Mike was the day that Kirby Puckett died. Kirby Puckett, the legendary Minnesota twin. And I remember we just started taking calls. He died very young. And I remember one caller that just sticks in my head who said, I'm walking around in Minneapolis and I just see grown men crying. And that just sort of sticks in my head about how important a very select few people in sports can become to fans, particularly the attachment they can have to a city. And that was what I thought of last night when I got home from this dinner and saw the news that Brooks Robinson has died. Now, Brooks Robinson, God bless him, lived to be 86 years old. He lived a a full life. And a wonderful one. And it has always been my policy that we should celebrate people's lives when they do this. The day that came for him yesterday comes for us all eventually. And very, very few can look back and say they did all the things he did. So I can sit here and I can read you a list that has been printed up for me here. He's a baseball Hall of Famer. His number five has been retired by the Orioles. He was the MVP of the American League in 64. He won two World Series. He was the World Series MVP in 1970. He was an 18-time All-Star. He uh, won 16 gold gloves at third. He won the Roberto Clemente Award. He spent 23 seasons with a single team, which is a record that he shares with Carl Yastrzemski, and he was on Major League Baseball's all-century team. Those are all facts, and they are all germane. They are all relevant. But in no way do they tell the story of what Brooks Robinson meant to the fabric of American sports during his life. Now, I'm only old enough to really remember the end of his career. The, the, The best years of his career really were in the 60s. I remember him as a player only at the very end, but I am acutely aware that any time you ever talked about great defense in baseball, 
the first name that came up was Brooks Robinson. And in my childhood, the Yankees had a great defensive third baseman in Greg Nettles. And every time he made one of those extraordinary, memorable, unforgettable diving plays at third, the first thing everyone said is, reminds you of Brooks Robinson. There was just something about the name Brooks Robinson. Like that, it just sounds like a great baseball player, doesn't it? Brooks Robinson. I wonder how many boys were named Brooks in Baltimore over the course of his career and since. And I wonder how many grown men and women were walking around Baltimore yesterday and other places crying at the memory of one of the greatest legends in the history of the game. Hembo, your thoughts? Royalty. Baseball royalty. There is no list of the most revered stars in the history of sports, any sport, on which Brooks Robinson is not at or near the top. If there are any takeaways today, they should be, first, the defense. Uh, Brooks Robinson is the greatest infielder that ever lived. Full stop. He played more games at third base than any player played at any position in the history of Major League Baseball. His 16 gold gloves are more than any position player ever has won, and that is a record that will likely stand until the end of time. The second thing that you have to know, that you should know about Brooks Robinson today, is that he effectively won a World Series by himself, the 1970 World Series against Cincinnati, otherwise known as the Brooks Robinson Series, a series in which he won MVP, largely because a dazzling display of defense, highlights of which you will see from now forevermore. Johnny Bench once said, I would become a left-handed hitter to avoid hitting the ball Mm. to that guy. Mm -hmm. Brooks Robinson in 1970 in that series remains the stuff of legend. And lastly, Brooks Robinson, the person, completely beyond reproach. But don't take my word for it, Greeny. I pulled a few quotes from people that knew him well. Tim Kirchin said, he's the single nicest man I have ever met in a major league uniform. Baseball historian Ted Patterson said, other stars had fans. Robbie made friends. And Gordon Beard legendarily said, in New York, they named a candy bar after Reggie Jackson. But here in Baltimore, we name our children after Brooks Robinson. Yeah. Just, I mean, oozing with class, integrity. I regret that I never had the chance to meet him. I certainly would have loved to. Um, but his is a name, one of those that just felt larger than life. It's hard to explain. Maybe this is a function of my age because – he came along at exactly the time that in my formative years as a sports fan, he was so many people's favorite players. I, I think, the, And particularly in baseball. I mean, the 70s in baseball were so different. If you're listening to this conversation and you're a baseball fan today, I, I, I have no doubt that you love the sport every bit as much as we did back then. But there's a difference. The sport was so different. Players are not revered today because of great plays they make at third base. The ball just isn't hit to the third baseman nearly often enough for that to be relevant Baseball was a totally different game then. It was played differently. Uh, I, I will always think it was infinitely more interesting then. And he was a huge part of that. So you've got, in this day and age, you would never list the best players in the majors based upon their defense. But if I think about the best players of that generation, Brooks Robinson would be on the team. Ozzie Smith would be on the team. Right there, that's two guys who'd be there solely because of their defense. I, I don't know, today is not the day to be debating Brooks Robinson versus Mike Schmidt, but and, and Schmidt was also a terrific defensive player and hit 500 home runs. But 
Robinson, he was just, he was, he was someone, he was a guy who along with people like Yastrzemski, Pete Rose, they were everybody's favorite player. It didn't matter what team you rooted for. Like you just, you rooted for your team and you loved that guy, or at least you admired that guy. He was so good, so ridiculously good. And, and again, to your point, a beloved person. I, I would love to have had the chance to get to know him, and I didn't. So anyway, I, I can just envision or imagine how sad those people are feeling. Like, how, how many athletes mean that to you? Who, who would be I – don't, I don't, we're not sitting here wishing death upon people. But, but how many athletes mean that to you? I, I will tell you, the day Joe DiMaggio died, I was in the newsroom at ESPN. And I, I picked up the phone. I had to call my father because I wanted like to tell him mm. before like the news reports got out there because I knew it was going to devastate him. Again, Joe lived a, a full, rich, wonderful life. Um, but I knew that it was going to devastate my father that Joe DiMaggio had died. That was his idol, his hero in every conceivable way. How, how many people would you say are on that list there, for you? There's one person, and it's Cal Ripken Jr., yeah. who in some ways is you know, something of a throwback, much like Brooks Robinson, as synonymous with a city as any athlete is in any city. And obviously the world has sped up a good bit in the last decade or two. But what makes Brooks Robinson and other, you know, Carl Yastrzemski, Stan Musial, these types that spent their, Ernie Banks, that spent their entire careers in one place, is that you feel like you got to know them so well. You spent every day in your summer with them, yeah. watching them or listening to the radio, and they became a part of your family. They became so familiar. And that 1970 World Series that I referenced, the reason that remains the stuff of legend is that when, that's when television was first exploding. More people watched that World Series, I believe, than any other at least at that time. And that's why those plays he made are so indelible. Watching him snare that backhand uh, down the line off that Lee May low line drive that in, on which he throws him out in game one of that series, for my money, is the second greatest play ever made in a World Series behind only Willie Mays' catch in game one of the 1954 series. Like Brooks Robinson has like those moments at a time in which baseball was at its zenith, and he's at the very top of that totem pole. Now, Christine, at least he passed along note that Jim Palmer cried on the broadcast last night, I have no doubt of it. I mean, those, his teammates loved him, um, and and what can you say? Uh, someone put up here on the screen, I'm not sure if it was Bubba or Cam, did you guys consider Brooks Robinson at, at number five and got your number? We did, absolutely. The hardest thing about that book was deciding who didn't make it. And as I just finished telling you, if I had not put Joe DiMaggio at number five, my father, wherever he is today, would have come back and told people not to buy the book. <laughs> so um, number five was spoken for the moment we had the idea. But certainly Brooks Robinson was worthy of that and anything else. We'll pause on that thought briefly. Lots more to do. Stay there. It's Greening on ESPN Radio. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute, but Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts or gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. It'll be here before you know it. 
Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Greeny, the podcast. All right, Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. Got a lot of nice reaction to the conversation we just had. It was about Brooks Robinson and, you know... It's very hard for me, as, as one who does this job, to know just how much time to spend on the passing of someone who was so important, but his significance came so long ago, I'm heartened to see how many people were touched by that conversation and get it. Brooks Robinson, one of the all-time greats, rest in peace. Thank you for making everything so terrific. It actually brings up, I'm not sure who put this in here, but it's an interesting question. I have only one question. It's from a Twitter account called Baseball Quotes. Well, that actually suggests to me, Hembo, it was probably you who put it in here. Because <laughs> My burner. who else is following at Baseball Quotes? But I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask the guys first. The question is here that Hembo, you, you were the one who put it in, right? Mm-hmm. All right, Bubba, if I offered you 100 at-bats against yeah. a major league pitcher, how many hits would you get? I mean, the answer is zero. And if anyone says anything other than that, they're lying, and it's an absurd answer. Cam, if I gave you 100 at-bats against a major league pitcher, how many hits would you get? Zero, even though I'm wearing a baseball jersey today, but it is zero. Okay. I'm proud of you both. I'm delighted that you had that right because that is absolutely the only answer. And I can tell you my one experience that taught me this. It was a terrible day. <laughs> this was the celebrity all-star game at Yankee Stadium. So whatever the last year of the old stadium was, oh, Six, seven, whatever year that oh, was. 08 was the year they hosted the All-Star Game. Okay, 08. That's yeah. when it was. So that was the legendary year that Mike and I, they have, the, the, the baseball's festivities that week used to be. I'm not sure if they do it the same way anymore. Obviously, Tuesday is the game. Monday is the home run derby and all that. And on Sunday, they play the Celebrities and Legends softball game. And Mike and I uh, managed that game at Yankee Stadium that year against each other. So we were going head-to-head. And, and, and by uh, being the managers, we each also took an at-bat. So I went in there to bat, and Goose Gossage was the pitcher. Now, this is softball. So, you know, they're pitching underhand, and it's like soft toss. They weren't pitching. Like most of the pitchers in the game were like actors. My pitcher was James Denton, who was on Desperate Housewives. Um, but so Goose Gossage is out there, and he's going to pitch. And so Golik sets it up with him that to scare the living daylights out of me, he is going to like act like he's going to throw it underhand, then rear back and fire it in there 
you know, like, like he would throw an actual pitch. Now it's a softball. But the catcher at the time, I think, was Gary Carter. So it was someone who was capable of catching it. It wasn't, you know, uh, who what was her name? The actress, Jenna Fisher from The Office. <laughs> that would have been a really questionable decision to throw. And I, so, so my, the point I'm making is I have no idea how hard he threw that. There was no gun. This is Goose Gossage, who was probably already at this time 60 years old and was throwing a softball without any real warm up. So I'm sure for him, this was just a toss. When I tell you, that ball came at me so fast, and it, it, it didn't hit me or even come close to hitting me, but if it was going to hit me, it would have hit me because I would have had no chance of getting out of the way quick enough. I, I barely had time to scream before the ball hit the catcher's mat. I literally shrieked at the top of my life. It is the scariest thing I've ever seen to see this ball just come flying at you and you are totally helpless it's like a train it's like if you were standing on a train track and the train is just coming at you and you can't move that's what it felt like to have a 50 year old 60 year old goose gossage chucking a softball in my general direction the idea that any person who is not an extremely experienced baseball player. Uh, maybe, look, if you played college baseball or you, you know, were in the minor leagues or something at one point, that's a different discussion. But if you're just a normal person, if you think that you could get a bat on a ball that a major league pitcher is throwing, you have absolutely no idea what you're talking that's about. That's right. And so I have to follow up by asking you the next question, which is, I did play college baseball. It's been 11 years since I did so. I hit about 300 at the Division II level. I have faced pitchers that have made it to the big leagues. Who? Uh, ben Heller, David Ledbetter. These, these aren't, you know, not Garrett Cole. Okay, no, but that, still, I mean, major league pitchers is like, major league pitchers. Last, pretty good. Yeah, the last pitch I ever saw in college was a 97-mile-per-hour. So I've at least seen it, but I'm 11 years removed from this. Do you think I can still fake it and get one hit? One hit. I think you would get a bat on the ball. I, I think you would have a chance of getting a bat on the ball, whether you got a hit or not. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm going to say... I would say yes. I would say maybe yes. I'd say out of 100 chances, you might have a chance to get one hit. If you, if you had 100 at-bats, you're going over 100 with 100 strikeouts. For sure. I, I mean... Could you draw a walk? If, well, that's up to the pitcher. It's <laughs> <laughs> not, not up to, up to me. I, I, think, I think if, like in theory, if I just sort of blindly swung... See, I'd be too afraid to be actually in there anyway. When that ball is coming at you, oh. if you could promise me ahead of time the ball is not going to mm-hmm. hit me and I just blindly swing, I might accidentally make contact okay. with it once. So let's say in advance, you know you're not going to see anything spin, any spin. It's going to be 95-mile-per-hour fastballs that will not hit you. Could you get one hit then? No. Just by almost swinging blindly and running into one? I doubt it. If I did, it would be an accident. By the 50th time, don't you think you will have made some kind of adjustment? No. Or started your swing earlier? You tell me. I mean, you've stood there. I haven't. No way. No. I don't think so. 95 is pretty fast. And not knowing, knowing that there's no spin is not the same thing as facing a major league pitcher. Because True. The, the point is that he's going to throw me two 95-mile-an-hour fastballs, and then he's going to throw me the changeup, and I'm going to break my back. My you, back. I will literally leave my vertebrae in the batter's box swinging so early. You think this may, Give me a random major league pitcher we're going to use here as our— as You our, just said Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole. You think Garrett Cole's going to shake off fastball from, from his catchers? No, no, no. Greeny's sitting fastball now. I'm throwing no, a changeup. But if, if the objective of the game is he wants to make sure he strikes me out out a hundred times he's not just going to throw 300 fastballs right <laughs> i don't know i think he might like, well, throwing it, matter, it softer yeah. would help you uh, you think throwing it softer would help me yes 
So you're saying I'd have a better chance trying to guess? Like, I, I've never stood in and seen what a major league curve uh-huh. ball looks like. Okay. Like, when that, ball, when that ball falls off the table, obviously I've watched it on TV all my life, and I've sat, um, you know, in, in particularly in, in, in minor league ballparks, there were times when I would be sitting directly behind home plate. So I've seen what that looks like from that vantage point. But standing in the box, like what does, how would you describe? You played minor league baseball, and, and you played, you know, so you played against like legitimate mm-hmm. pitchers. Real pitchers, yeah. When they throw a curveball, describe to me what it actually looks like. It looks like it's going to hit you, and then it winds up as a strike. Or it looks like it's going to be a strike, and then it winds up in the dirt. So, like, you get used How quickly to it, does that happen? Between four and five-tenths of a second. <laughs> and so how do you, like, you are actually making an adjustment. In that time, you are saying, I think this is a, a fastball. I think this is a, a, a breaking ball. You, are, you actually have time to make that adjustment in yes, your head. Yes, based upon, that's, that's what the seams are for. If you see the dot, it means it's spinning. And you have to wait longer. That, but, I mean, you're not going to be able to pick that up in 100 at-bats. Maybe if you got 10,000 at-bats, by then you'd be, you know, recognizing this is a... How good were you slider. in high school? I mean, I hit, I hit 400 hitter in high school. But, I mean, these that's are... That's pretty good. This is against, you know, 78-mile-per-hour fastball. No, I get it, right, but that's know? still pretty good. 400 is 400. Yeah, 400 I mean, I, I is 400. was a good uh, high school and college. It's, 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 it's the worst thing It's Ted Williams and it's Paul Hembikitis. I, I went back to the tweet, and there are already... There are way too many people who were just writing back, yes, oh yes, four, yes, four. three, yes. The, Cam and I have the correct answer. No person, unless they're like Hembo, who played in college. I'll get, grant you that. If you played in college, you can probably get a hit. If you didn't play in college, you are not getting a hit. Stop saying yes. Stop saying four. Stop saying seven. <laughs> stop saying it depends on what the pitch is. You're going it O for on 100. The They're major league pitchers. You are not. If, if the major league pitcher is trying, then yes. Absolutely. You have no chance. Here, here's the other thing. The, the place this comes up a lot is golf. So people will say, so let's say I, I'm an eight index. My index, I think, t- is 8.3. So I am, by normal human standards, a pretty good golfer. There are multiple levels of good better than me. I mean, an, an incalculable number of levels better than me. But for people who know golf, you'll have a sense of what my game is by hearing my index. What would you shoot if you were me? If I played the U.S. Open course, if I went out on a course where they're playing the U.S. Open, playing it in those conditions, now you, you practically couldn't recreate the pressure of it because I wouldn't be playing for the U.S. Open championship, but there would be a lot of pressure. If you put people there, if you had people watching, and, 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 and you created some sort of pressure. I wasn't just there with my buddies to have fun and see what we could shoot. But if the, let's say there was some prize involved. What number would, would you have to put on the board? I'm going to let you guess. I, I, not that I know an answer, but I can guess an answer. What number would you have to put on the board for me to say I could beat that for a million dollars? That will put a million dollars of my money against your money, and I'll say you give me that number and I'll shoot it for a million dollars. So is like this is a par seventy two? Well, frequently they're par seventy now par the 70. U.S. Open course, but whatever that is, eighty five. Oh God, no. You would take all of my money and then <laughs> No, no way. It's double your handicap. There, there are players on a U.S. Open course. There will be players in the tournament who will shoot 85 on the first two days. I, I'm sitting here telling you right now, and I believe the real golfers know this, and if not, you're deluding yourself, that if you're an eight index, which means – I'm trying to explain how you would explain that to people who don't know anything about golf. It's, it's related to your handicap. So just, just, just we'll use the word handicap mm-hmm. instead of index, even though they aren't exactly the same thing. If you're an eight handicap, 
and you play a U.S. Open course set up the way it's meant to be set up and you actually count every stroke the way they do it, you would be lucky to shoot 150. 150? Yes. There will be carries you can't hit. You will have to be, you will have to be hitting provisionals over and over and over again. Absolutely. If you counted every stroke. If you, lit- if you legitimately counted every stroke. What, what did Tony Romo shoot when he went out and did that challenge? Tony Romo was probably like a plus two. I mean, he's, he's a legitimately great guy. What golfer. challenge was it named? Do you remember? I, I forget, but he went out and did this. There was a bunch of them that did it. I, I don't think Romo, did he break 90? He definitely didn't break 80. Hmm. And, and Romo is an, a ridiculously good golfer. I would put the number, if, you, if you're an eight index and you got the chance to play a U.S. Open course the way it is set up to be played and you had to count every stroke, I would put the number at, at minimum 125. Somewhere, you're going to shoot between 125 and 150. What does the... the- fact that people would be watching i don't understand why you added just, it creates more pressure like it's just it's just it just adds that to might the fuel nervous to shoot 140 the worst thing in the world that you want in golf is to be fueled golf is like baseball it's counterintuitive uh-huh. so when you're standing at the plate do you want to be fueled when you're standing there trying to figure out in those four tenths of a second do i see the dot or not mm-hmm. and how do i adjust as a result you don't want to have just taken amphetamine well <laughs> that's a bad point <laughs> too soon i shouldn't have said that but you don't want to be you don't want to be amped up no, you have you to don't. get yourself into like the most yeah. calm state you can because you need your mind working it's not like football where you're just going to hit something as hard as you possibly can golf is that way as well in golf the harder you try the worse you generally tend to do anyway those are just those are just questions what did Romo shoot yeah so he, he got a sponsor exemption to play in a PGA Tour looks like in, in Dominican Republic all right to be clear that's a PGA Tour event that's not the U.S. Open course but go ahead right yeah he, so he missed the cut with scores of 77 and 82 yeah so so that that's that's a, a PGA Tour event and that's a guy who is, what is Romo's index? Well, I could probably look at it. 150? Yeah, that would be my prediction. Absolutely. What is Romo, where, where do we think Romo is uh, as a member of the, of, 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 where would his gin score be? In Texas? Is that where he lives? Does Romo live in, do we know? Does he live in Dallas? I believe so, yeah. I can't get online here, so we'll see. You can, you can look up. <laughs> yeah. Where does Tony Romo live? You can look it up. No, I can't look that up. But if he lives in Texas, I can look up his, his, his index. Anyway. Tiger I, Woods said Romo is the best celebrity golfer he ever played with. The best what? Was that the best what? Celebrity best, golfer he ever played with. Yeah. So he's a cele- to be clear, Romo is the best celebrity golfer he ever played with. And on a PGA Tour course setup, he shot 82. A U.S. Open is multiple strokes harder than that. So he's a plus two. So, so he's a plus two, and he shot 82. So on a normal day, you're going to shoot 15 shots worse than him. Uh, on a normal day, he would have to give you, if you and he were playing on the easiest golf course in the world, he'd have to give you one shot a hole. Oh, easy. He'd have to give you 18 shots. For sure. Well, not you, me. He'd have to give me that <laughs> for me to compete with him. Um, on the U.S. Open course, uh-huh. he's going to shoot, he'd be very lucky to break 100. But he can hit it. He can hit, there are going to be carries you can't make. Anyway, we've gotten ourselves sidetracked here. I didn't mean to. But if you think you could get a hit off a major league pitcher, you are absolutely, positively out of your mind. In case you missed it. One more time. All right. So um, every single day, Hembo and – no, not Hembo. Bubba and Cam go through the best sound bites that we could get both from Unsportsmanlike, which you'll hear every weekday morning here on ESPN Radio. And from Get Up, which we do on TV before we come on here. And they pick out a couple of the most interesting sound bites, and we play them for you as in case you missed it. Let's start with our buddy Chris Canty on Unsportsmanlike. 
talking about what he thinks the Chicago Bears need to do now. Chicago Bears, they're a dumpster fire, which understood ain't got to be said. I ain't got to spend a whole lot of time on that. Fire everybody. Get rid of everybody. Get a new starting quarterback in 2024. I know that the house is burning down and they're trying to, to put out the flames. The hell with that. Just let it go all the way to the ground, and then you build it fresh starting next year. That's the really frustrating part of this is that I don't, I don't have any room to disagree. The bottom line of it is, and I used this analogy yesterday, in sports these days, the best thing you can do if you're bad is tear it all the way down to the studs and start building it with a fresh cap and all of that stuff. In order to do that successfully, you have to have all new people doing it. You have to. And in order to do that, they have to clean house. Because this was supposed to be the first year on the way back up again. They were supposed to have touched the bottom of the pool. Just imagine you jump into a pool, you sink all the way to the bottom. Then when you reach the bottom, you push off and you start moving your way back off to the top. You can push off hard and try and get back up to the top quickly. Or you can push up gently and try and slowly build your way back up. But either way, you got to be moving up. The Bears last year hit the bottom. Then they made the aggressive moves. They traded for the receiver. They made a couple of moves on the offensive line. They did the things that you would think would get you moving back up in the right direction. And what you realize now is that they have to go back down again. That's where they are. So that's the really, if you are a fan of that team, and I have so many people in my life who are passionate fans of that team, that's the worst place to be, is you're incredibly bad and it's going to get worse. That is brutally painful with 14 games left in your season. Yeah, and, and considering they had to endure a rebuild to get here without having, without having yielded any results. That's right. What the Bears have to do is be on the same page organizationally throughout the entire hierarchy, which they're not. The ownership, to the, gen, to, the, to the front office, to the coaching staff, to the quarterback. like That needs to be a neat line straight through uh, on which everyone is on the same page, working on the same timeline with job security. But if you have one desperate person or one person in that chain of command that is not in sync with the others, the whole thing crumbles like anything in life, like any hierarchy, like any building. The Bears have gotten that wrong for, honestly, most of this generation. And until they decide to sync everything up and empower the people that they have, we're just gonna, like, this is just going to keep happening. I mean, history doesn't repeat itself, but in the Bears' case, it does rhyme. Yeah, it's brutal. It, it, it is genuinely brutal, um, and I'm so sorry to everybody listening on ESPN 1000. I'm so sorry to my buddy Mark Silverman and Tom Waddle and everybody there. You're going to get worse, unfortunately, before you get better. I don't think they're going to beat Denver this week. Denver just gave up 70. This is a great measuring stick for this offense, for the offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, and for Fields. This Denver team just gave up 70 points last week. How many are you going to score? If the Bears wind up losing this game, something like seven, well, then their defense is bad too. So I was about to say, if they wind up losing this game like 17 to six, there is no greater indictment you could possibly imagine, right? No, they haven't won a game in a year. I mean, the Bears haven't won a game literally in a year. Yeah. Since last, like this is, it couldn't be worse. They have the worst offense and worst defense in the NFL, have been for a calendar year, aren't better, don't trust the coach, don't trust the quarterback. No one, like this is, as Chris Canty said, an absolute dumpster fire. Yeah, Graziano said it well the other day. They haven't won since last October, and this weekend is next October. You'll hear from Jeff Saturday next on ESPN Radio. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. 
Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny. Greeny. When I worked in Bristol, there was a little area in the calf that you would get snacks and put them in a plastic bag. When you came up, they would wave them, and that's how they would charge you. And one time, the guy behind the thing said to me, oh, Mr. Greenberg, you're going to have to put your nuts on the scale. I could not continue. I said to him, how do you expect me to go back to work now? Like, I'm supposed to host Sports Center tonight after you just told me to put my nuts on the scale? If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. This is Greeny. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. Both teams are fighting for a wild card. We got an AL West battle tonight here on ESPN Radio. Coverage 9 Eastern on ESPN Radio on the ESPN app. Mariners and Astros. In fact, while we have that in mind, I'll I'll save the Jeff Saturday for a second. Let's do a progressive MLB snapshot brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. We just talked for a minute here, uh, or no, I shouldn't say that. We talked for a great length of time earlier about the passing of the legendary Brooks Robinson. Give me another baseball snapshot. What else should the baseball fans, or maybe not the hardcore baseball fans, know as we enter the very tail end of the season here? So the odds makers are saying that the Atlanta Braves are kind of a runaway favorite to win the World Series this year. And I'm here to say not so fast, my friend. I think the Braves are in big trouble. Because right now the Braves are dealing with uh, injuries to their pitching staff that I think might well cost them the championship. Charlie Morton, he's on the injured list. Max Fried, he's on the injured list. Kyle Wright isn't Kyle Wright right now. Bryce Elder isn't missing any bats for the Braves. In order for them to win the championship, they're going to have to win 11 postseason games. They're going to need to get 297 outs. And Greeny, that lineup is not good. It's great. Ronald Acuna is having an historic season. Matt Olson is having an historic season. But, but as I like to say in football, I like to say it in baseball too. How many ways can you win? Because once the run-scoring environment in the postseason becomes suppressed, pitching is going to matter more. And right now, the Braves aren't pitching well. The Braves' bullpen has a five-and-a-half ERA in the month of September. So don't, don't pay attention to the shiny toys. All these crazy stats that the Braves put up during the regular season, they matter to a degree. But I do not consider the Braves the favorite to win the championship because they can't pitch enough. What does the data say about teams in the modern era? I'm not sure how we would define that. But in, let's call it the last 10 to 15 years who hit all these home runs when they get to the playoffs. I mean, I'm thinking of all these Yankee teams that slug their way to the playoffs and then never make it to the World Series. What does the data say about the huge home run hitting teams? Obviously, the Braves, they're going to set like home run records, right? Mm So um, what does the data tell us about how they do in the playoffs? I had the shorthand list in front of me earlier today in which I just looked at the most home runs in a season by every team in Major League Baseball history. And if memory serves, somewhere between none of the top 8, 10, or 12 Won the championship. Now, that might be just coincidental. It might be a selection bias because in order to win the championship, a lot of things have to go right. But run scoring diversity is a phrase I like to use because in the playoffs, you might have to win games more than one way. You're facing the best pitching in the world, too. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, uh, pitching that can suppress home runs. And the Braves are merely average at scoring runs outside of homering, like manufactured runs, we might call it. So when I like lay out how teams might perform in the playoffs, I always ask myself, how many ways can you win and how many ways can you lose? And the Braves at their best are phenomenal 
But honestly, the Braves right now can't pitch quite enough, and I'm worried that those home run hitters won't be able to carry them to the championship. I like the way you put that, and I'll tell you why. When I, what I learned about championship-level sports teams, I learned from covering the Michael Jordan-led Chicago Bulls. And the thing that made them so unbeatable, people will ask, well, why did they win six championships? Even if you're the best team, you're not going to win essentially six out of six, which they did. The two years in the middle that they didn't win there, for those who don't know, and Michael wasn't there. He, missed all, he didn't play in the 94 playoffs, and he came back with 17 games left in advance of the 95 playoffs, and they just weren't the same team. So essentially, six consecutive years in which that team was intact, they won the championship in every one of them. And I've always said the reason is because they were a team that could walk out onto the floor and any given night and say, how do you want to play tonight? However you want to play, we'll beat you. You want to walk it up and down the floor, we'll beat you in the half court. You want to run up and down the floor, we'll beat you that way too. You want to score 120, you want to score 86. We'll beat you no matter how you want to play, and they could do it. And that is why... Great teams, that's how teams win championships. I agree with you. They say styles make fights. There was no bad matchup for them. Mm. No no one could really beat them at their own game because the Bulls could play any game you wanted to play. So our, our buddy Scott Van Pelt likes to use the phrase, how good is your good? And I think the answer to that question you know, can be instructive. It's certainly catchy and clever. But I think the more instructive question is, how good is your average? Yeah. How good is your bad? Right. Because that's what determines championship medal. If anybody can thrive in order. Much more difficult to thrive in chaos. The championship teams can do both, right? That's to me is a more instructive, like across the sports landscape. How good is your average and how good is your bad? No, it's really good. How good is your bad, I think, is really important because really good coaches in any sport will take advantage of your weakness. Bill Belichick made himself a six-time champion by doing that. Belichick didn't just win all those championships because he had Tom Brady. That obviously helped. But what Belichick, I think, does better than anybody else is he finds your weakness and he exploits it. He doesn't let you beat him with your strength. They use the expression, make them beat you left-handed. Mm-hmm. He does that extremely well. So if you've got one player around whom you build your offense, you just know against the Patriots, that guy is not going to beat you. He's going to make someone else do it. And if they're good enough to do it, they will. But he... he he slowed down Tyreek Hill a couple of weeks ago as much as, as Tyreek Hill is going to get slowed down all year long. Tyreek Hill had 40-some yards in that game. Yeah, and he still it, caught a touchdown, I mean, but still. He yeah. pl- he, right, he played NFL teams in consecutive weeks, and one had a chance, and the other had no chance. That's coaching. Yeah. Anyway, I, I was going to play you. I still have time for it as we'll finish up here with uh, the second half of In Case You Missed It. This was Jeff Saturday on Get Up This Morning on the idea that without Aaron Rodgers, the Jets are hopeless. No one cares. Like, no other team cares, no other coach cares, nobody cares about your problems, right? And that's where the Jets got to get to. Nobody cares that you feel hopeless. Nobody cares you go home and, you, and you're, you know, you're, your spouse and everybody's telling you, oh, man, this is really tough. Nobody cares, man. Nope. This, the league is brutal when it comes to those things. Robert Sala's job at this point is to, is to bring hope to the locker room, and that comes in small increments. Hey, we got to win in the run game. Defense, you got to get two turnovers. Hey, offensive line, you got to give that extra second, right? Scramble drills gonna matter all of those things sound cliche but it's the reality of the nfl and ain't nobody feel sorry for you losing if you feel sorry for yourself this is gonna go from bad to worse in a second that's the fear i mean that was what jeff said and he's right no one can argue with that of course he's right hembo but the problem is when it starts to go really bad and and this i think has a chance to be particularly uniquely bad meaning special in the way it's bad then you run the risk of everything splintering. 
And that's when you need exceptional leadership. And I'm not convinced they have. Right. And if I'm a member of the Jets defense, I'm not doing like the us against the world thing. I'm doing like we're in the bunker by ourselves. The offense is against us too. Like that's, there's, a, there's any number of ways you can galvanize yourself. If I'm a member of that group, honestly, I'm using the offense <laughs> as sort of an enemy in that sense. Look, I said it the other day and I said it at the time when they had that ball backed up in their own end zone on that third down, they should have punted. Mm. They wound up taking a safety that cost them the game. They should have punted on third down. That's where you are. All right, on that cheerful note, we'll see you tomorrow. It's Greeny on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcasts. 